0: As we began a new year, we uh, began by looking at the Psalms. And the focus of our study was the character of God. And that first week we looked in Psalms 22 through 24 and we saw that God's character was revealed in His Son. um, Ultimately, His forgiveness uh, through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Last week we looked in Psalm 42 and 43 And we saw that in times of difficulty, in times of darkness, God is still good. If I can sum that up in just one little phrase. Um, There is deep mercy even when there are dark clouds on the horizon. And I'm thankful that we can trust God uh, even in those moments. So last week we spent a lot of time talking about Psalms of Lament and... um, Isn't it always interesting that when you focus in on something uh, that that God puts that to use in your heart right away? And uh, I was talking with uh, someone this week who's going through a very difficult time and I was able to share with him uh, what we learned last week that we need to cry out to God and that we need to complain in a godly way, right? We need to express our frustrations and our doubts and our concerns. And out of that, we can ask boldly because we know what God has done in the past. And out of our complaint comes bold uh, asking. And then as we ask boldly, we can trust God that He's going to answer. And uh, so over and over again throughout the Psalms, in fact, um, this number didn't come into my head last week, but 62 out of the 150 Psalms uh, are Psalms of lament, where we see This crying out to God, this complaining, this asking of questions, this expressing of frustrations that builds into asking God to do bold things like vindicate me, God, or deliver me or defend me or wake up, God, right? Those are all wonderful, bold things to ask. And we see the psalmist trusting God over and over again and calling God's people to trust in Him. The Psalms that we're going to look at today as we look into book three of Psalm, uh, which begins in chapter 73 uh, then runs through chapter 89, are going to deal with some of those same themes because 11 of these Psalms uh, that are written by Asaph, who was David's chief musician, as it tells us in Chronicles, uh, are Psalms of lament. So we're going to see the same kind of structure in these Psalms. But what I want us to uh, focus on today is God's goodness as seen through His justice and His mercy. i entitled the message, Arise, O God, because of one very specific verse in Psalm chapter 82, which is going to be our focus psalm this morning. Let me ask you a question. If God, well, actually, let me ask you two questions. If God is just, why does he tolerate injustice? If God is merciful, why do the innocent suffer? Now, those are difficult questions, aren't they? Those are questions that I hope would uh, cause you to stop and think for just a moment. How do we reconcile God's justice and His mercy when we look at the world and we see that the wicked are prospering and the blameless are suffering? It doesn't seem to be fair. And sometimes it's hard for us to reconcile that in our own hearts because injustice seems to be overwhelming and and God is not intervening in some way. So these questions come to our heart and to our mind, where are you God? Where are you at in this situation? Why are you silent? Where when are you going to show mercy and are you ever going to judge the wicked? These are the questions that these particular psalms that we're going to focus on seek to answer. These psalms are laments. They complain about injustice and suffering but they also call us to see God's good, just, and merciful nature. A lot of people consider justice and mercy to be polar opposites. We're, in these days, we're used to kind of viewing polar opposites, right? And everything that we watch and everything that we read, everything seems to be uh, opposite of each other to the extreme. And many times we believe justice and mercy are the opposite ends of the spectrum. Some people believe that there can either be justice, that is, when people get what they deserve, or there can only be mercy when people don't get what they deserve. I don't know about you, but I'm partial to the mercy side, right? I'm grateful for God's mercy in my life. I'm grateful when people show me mercy. Like if by chance I get pulled over by a responsible police officer who's doing his job, because I was speeding in a place where I shouldn't have been speeding and the officer gives me a warning. You know what that is? That's mercy. Because I deserved the ticket. The flip side of that is, it's always a good lesson for a new driver who gets a ticket to go through the entire judicial process. To go and stand in front of the judge and, say, and have him say, were you speeding? Yes sir, I was. This is the cost of the speeding ticket. This is where you pay. That is justice, right? Getting what you deserve. There's that perception that these are polar opposites, and that perception causes us to misunderstand God's nature of being both just and merciful. The truth is, God doesn't need to fit into our little boxes. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, It's almost as if there's two boxes here this morning. There's the box that says either and the box that says or. It's either justice or it's mercy. Well, God doesn't fit into our boxes. His goodness can be seen in His justice and His mercy. There is no either or. And aren't you thankful for that? This is where you say amen. Psalm 82. Psalm 82 says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So the truth is, God's goodness can be seen in His justice and His mercy. They are not an either-or calculation. (laughs) The first thing that we learn when we look into Psalm 82 is that God's justice is assured. God's justice is assured. Where does the idea that God's justice and mercy is either or? Its roots are found in the Jewish legal system. The legal system in the Old Testament was not just the Ten Commandments. In fact, entire sections of the first five books of the Bible that sometimes referred to as the Pentateuch or even the Torah, outline instructions about how God's people were called to and are to live. I mean, it really spells out all of these laws to live by. There's dietary laws, there's sanitation laws, and aren't you thankful for those? There's family and communal practices that are written there. There's laws concerning matters of worship and fasting and sacrifices all of those things are discussed in detail. And the, the, the whole gist of it is this. If they observed God's law, they would be blessed. And if they failed to observe the law, they would be cursed. And in that was justice. Now, that's what they believed justice to be in God's economy. You can see this understanding of justice here in the book of Psalms. In the opening verse of Psalm 73, it says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Did you catch the understanding of justice there? If we're good, if we're pure of heart, then God will be good to us. The flip side of that would be, if we're not good, then we deserve God's judgment, and His wrath will be upon us. We will be cursed. This idea of blessing and cursing is, that's intertwined with whether or not we obey the law or disobey the law. The implication is that as a God of justice, He is good to those who seek His will. So the argument here in Psalm 73 is why do the wicked prosper and we as God's people suffer? In other words, why do those who disobey the law prosper? And why do we who believe and do the law suffer? There is a an envy that takes place in the psalm. An envy of the worldly. An envy of the arrogant who mock God and who mock heaven. They threaten and oppress God's people. They, they seem to have this life of luxury with no problems. And the psalmist cries out, Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Ooh. Do I follow God for Nothing. For I am afflicted all day long. In Psalm seventy-four, the issue of Israel uh, is the Israel. The issue for Israel is they are being defeated by their enemies. Their cities were being destroyed. The sanctuary was burned. Where was God in all of that? Why didn't He assert His power? Why didn't He do something? Did He not remember that Israel was His possession? Did he not remember his covenant? Did he not remember all he had done to bless them and establish them? The psalmist says, God, how long will the enemy mock? Will the foe insult your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Stretch out your right hand and destroy them. That particular psalm closes with a demand for justice. That's common for us to feel the same way today. We do our best and we wonder why God does not bless us. God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, right? I'm faithful to go to church. I'm faithful to give. I'm faithful not to watch things I shouldn't watch, not to say things I shouldn't say, not to go places where I shouldn't go. I, in the immortal words of Johnny Cash, walk the line. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, yet it seems you don't bless me. And then we see others who have no time for God, who are enjoying their life without any restraint, living a life of wealth and luxury, and they seem to be immune from hardship. Like the psalmist, we envy these entertainers of the world because of their popularity and their success. And we begin to wonder, does God have a different standard of justice? You see, when Israel forgot God and they rejected Him, He simply withheld His protection so that they suffered at the hands of their enemies. That's a good word for the church today. Why do we suffer? Why does it seem that we suffer? It's a good word for us as American believers today, if you want to put it that way. Why does it seem the world succeeds and the church seems to be failing? Maybe it's because we forgot how to truly worship God. Maybe we forgot what it means to actually follow after God, how to pursue His holiness, how to obey Him in all things. And maybe God, in His infinite wisdom, has just simply withheld His protection. Purpose was to bring Israel to repentance and restore them as His precious possession. You see, God's justice is always restorative. God's justice isn't punitive in that sense. God's justice is restorative. He wants to bring us back to Him. They were recipients of the mercy which God always intended to bestow. The attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 73 changed when he came into an experience of worship. In verses 16 and 17 of 73, he says, "...it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. He understood that the wicked would fall into ruin, that they would become desolate, that they would be swept away because God is just." (coughs) Understanding God's justice brought assurance and blessing in spite of adverse circumstances. In Psalm 74, the psalmist answers his own doubts when he says, Why have you rejected us forever? Can I just ask a question? Has God rejected us forever? But sometimes we feel that way, don't we? He's reminded in Psalm 74 of God's creative power and all that He had done on behalf of His people. When we face adversity, we often attribute our circumstances to God's judgment, to His justice for something that we've done wrong. When we lose our job or maybe our home is destroyed in a storm, while others prosper and remain safe, we say, why me, Lord? why me? You see, that's kind of a reflection of the same distorted understanding that the Jews had regarding curses and blessings. Psalm 75 continues the complaint about why the wicked prosper, but God's justice is assured. Just like in Psalm 82, it says that God has taken His place. He has made His stand for judgment. God's justice is always assured. It will happen. It says in Psalm 75, 4 and 5, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn against heaven or speak arrogantly. This is a condemnation of those who think they are self-sufficient and they're as good as anyone else, including those who have proclaimed faith in Jesus. God is the judge. The psalmist says that He brings down one and exalts another. The passage goes on to explain that the cup of judgment in God's hand will be poured out. All the wicked will drink of it, and and I will cut off all the horns of the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. God's goodness should never be taken for granted. The holiness of God's nature demands a response, one that includes anger and wrath because of sin and disobedience. In Psalm 76, there's a reminder that we need to be fearing God. The justice of His wrath is to humble the spirit of leaders and be feared by the kings of the earth. In Psalm 77, the psalmist continues this lament It's almost an exasperation. He's discouraged greatly and he says, I cry aloud to God. I refuse to be comforted. I groan. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has His faithful love ceased forever? Is His promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in His anger withheld His compassion? I mean, the psalmist is in a low place. But yet God's justice is assured. Because when the psalmist reflects on God's work, when he reflects on God's provision for Israel in the past, then his confidence is once again restored. We need to understand that there is no contradiction in God's judgment and His goodness. In fact, as one person said, His moral nature demands a wrathful response to sin and an independent, arrogant spirit among his people. He cannot passively tolerate or ignore one who takes lightly the responsibility to walk in holiness and obedience. You see, the truth is God will and must take a stand in judgment. His justice is always assured. Secondly, not only is God's justice assured, but God's justice is not always immediate. God's justice is not always immediate. <clears throat> you see, we have a tendency to tell God how He should exact justice. And you know what? We want Him to do it now. Right? We cry out to God and say, how long? Come now. Right? Where are you, God? I need you now. We look at the suffering of people and we see injustice and we want God to to restore it now. Psalm 82 in verses 2 through 4 go back to the issue of why the wicked prosper. It says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. All those things are bold ask of God. God give justice. God maintain. God rescue. God deliver. We have a lot of the same ideas about God, don't we? At least how he should deal with the source of our problems. We want him to take care of it now. While these sound like reasonable demands in Psalm 82, They reflect a lack of understanding of God's perspective of timing, of both judgment and mercy. You see, God's justice is assured, but God's justice is not always immediate. Rather than wielding a big stick, by the way, when I was a child, My father wielded a big stick. At least in my eyes it was. It was actually just a limb from a tree. But there was power in that little limb. And sometimes we want God to wield a big stick, don't we? We want Him to intervene with a manifestation of His power and His sovereignty. It may be that He wants His people to be the ones to do something, though. Maybe He wants us to do something about suffering. Maybe He wants us to do something about injustice in the world. (coughs) We are His hands and His feet. He wants us to do something. I think this is so appropriate, by the way. As tomorrow we honor Martin Luther King Jr. and all of that he pursued for justice. Sometimes we need to remember that we are God's hands. And feet. And sometimes we can speak into the problems of injustice. Sometimes God wants us to do something ourselves. I remember saying one time, don't pray about God doing something unless you're willing to get involved too. But that's what we do as Christians, right? We say, God, give justice, God, maintain, God, Rescue. God, deliver. And we never do anything ourselves. Remember, we are His hands and His feet. We should not blame God for racism or oppression or poverty when all those godless powers seem to prevail. Israel seemed to ignore the fact that their being oppressed by their enemies were consequences of their own faithlessness. They would eventually be restored, but God allowed the circumstances to play out so that they might learn their lesson, so that they might come to the point of repentance before God would, in His mercy, bring justice and resolve their problems. God's justice might seem delayed because He's doing something that we cannot see. When God is silent in our suffering, when God is silent in injustice, it does not contradict His goodness. It reminds us, as Isaiah said, His ways are not our ways. It also reminds us that His timing is not our timing. God's justice is assured, but God's justice is not always immediately immediate. And lastly, we see that God's justice is demonstrated at the cross. God's justice is demonstrated at the cross. Verse 5 of chapter 82 of Psalm says, They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince." You see, the unjust systems of our world will eventually fall because God's justice is assured. They will eventually fall. Recognizing that we have all received God's mercy because of His delayed justice should prompt us to do some honest remembering and reflecting on what God has done for us. So when we think about God's Justice not always being immediate. We need to remember that we are in the place of God's judgment. Because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath. Yet, God's justice was demonstrated at the cross. In Psalm 77, it says there in verse 10, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great, like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your mind among the peoples. With you, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph." He is the God who works wonders. There is no God as great as our God. He is the God that with His arm has redeemed us as His people. When we reflect on all that God has done, when Israel reflected on what God had done for them, it restored their confidence and it should restore ours. God has worked on our behalf. Aren't you thankful for that? Sometimes we just need to stop and reflect on what God has done for us in the past. In the middle of our adversity, in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our frustrations, let us not forget what God has done for us. In Psalm 78, verses 38 and following, it says, Yet He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all His wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh and wind that passes and comes not again. Aren't you thankful that God is compassionate? That He had compassion on you. That he had. Com- I'm thankful He had compassion on me because I certainly don't deserve it. He is compassionate. In verse 38 it said, He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. Aren't you thankful that God has made a way for us to be atoned, to be restored, to not face the punishment that we deserve. You see, God's justice is restorative. And when God's justice comes to us, it comes through the cross. It's demonstrated at the cross. As God's punitive justice, His wrath was poured out on Jesus and we received His restorative justice and were made whole through what Jesus did for us there by dying in our place on the cross. He restrained His anger. He did not stir up all of His wrath. Instead, He placed it on jesus the truth is god's justice and mercy are not contradictory they are compatible they're not separated into either or or boxes but they come together in one powerful demonstration of god's goodness we understand that mercy is something that is undeserved so when israel rebelled they did not deserve to escape the defeat of their enemies so their appeal for justice was really an appeal for mercy and God actually revealed His mercy when He failed to allow Israel to follow the, the wicked into a life that they desired. <coughs> in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow. And in that parable, the unrighteous judge says, Will not God grant justice to His elect who cry out to Him day and night? Will He delay helping them? I tell you that He will swiftly grant them justice. It appears that justice for God's people, for God's elect, is an outpouring of God's compassion and mercy. Aren't you thankful for that? That God's justice for us, His judgment upon us, is not His wrath, but it is compassion and mercy. We cannot help but see mercy as justice in the hands of God since it's a response to one's faith and it's based on what God has done to cover the penalty and the consequences of our sin each of these psalms of lament come to the conclusion that the outcome will be merciful loving kindness and vindication at the hand of God because of His goodness and because we can trust in His goodness. I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. As for me, God's presence is my good. Rise up, God. Champion your cause. Exaltation does not come from the east, the west, or the desert, for God is the judge. He brings down one and exalts another, yet He is compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned His anger aside and did not unleash all of His wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. Psalm 79 puts it this way, We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever. We will declare your praise to generation after generation. And the psalm that we began our worship service with this morning, the refrain is repeated three times, Restore us, God. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. These psalms confirm that the trouble, the frustration the discouragement the questions that we have sometimes the real trouble that we're in for israel it was because of a lost relationship with god because they rebelled they pleaded for mercy if god would intervene they would not turn away if he would revive them they would call on his name if they would if he would restore them they would be saved is that not the cry of our heart also? You see, the deepest, darkest place that you'll find yourself in is that place before you came to faith in Jesus. Because in that place, you're still under God's wrath. And I implore you, if you've never put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, then know this, God loves you and He desires to show you mercy. He desires to show you compassion. He does not desire that any would perish, but that all would come to faith in Him. God's goodness is most clearly seen in the cross because at the cross is where justice and mercy meet. So as the psalmist says in Psalm 82, Arise, O God. That is the the cry for us at the cross, Arise, O God! We see Jesus dying for us. We see Him buried in the borrowed tomb. And the cry of our heart is say, Arise, O God! And that's exactly what Jesus did. He arose victorious on the third day. And because of what He did for us in His death, burial, and resurrection, we can be freed from punitive judgment of God, from His wrath, and we can experience the restorative justice of God in His mercy. Aren't you thankful that God is good and that justice and mercy met at the cross? When we reflect and we remember the goodness of God that He's shown us through Jesus, then we can make the same determination that the psalmist made that I read just a moment ago from Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. He is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Oh, that God would arise in our hearts if you've experienced His compassion and His mercy, His forgiveness, then why are we silent?